Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You guys absolutely rule. Thank you so much for that. I am Kyle Yount, the host of the Kaiju Cast. Welcome to G-Fest 21. And uh, I am joined here by some very esteemed colleagues who we are going to talk all about the sound of monsters. Uh, and uh, oh, this is episode, I believe, 115 of the Kaiju Cast, a bi-monthly podcast, 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. And uh, this is a live recording at G-Fest 21 in Chicago, Illinois. Joining me in the stage studio, we have Mr. Jim Figursky, <laughs> Eric Hominick. John DeSantis and Chris Olio over there on the right, my right. And we are going to talk to these guys about the music behind these movies and behind the monsters that we love so much. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start things out with Jim, who is a contributor, is what I say. He's a contributor to GodzillaMonsterMusic.com, but he has a whole bunch of other things that he can tell us about, too. Do us a little favor and introduce yourself, my friend. I think that's on. Is it on? Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, I don't have my own podcast. I don't uh, own the official American version of the Fukube website, nor am I creating a concert with the Fukube. Uh, the only thing, uh, just from like Kyle was saying, some contributions in the past. And uh, in 2000, I had the honor of uh, interviewing Mr. Ifukube um, at his house for about two hours, which was something I'll obviously never forget, so um, that's about it, and I'll pass it on to the other guys. This is Eric Hominick. Now, Eric, you run akiraifukube.org. Tell us a little bit about why you started the website. Right. akiraifukube.org is the official English language website about the composer Ifukube, and you're probably wondering, well, what does that mean? Official English language website. There's actually two of them. There's a Japanese one that is official that's run on the Japanese side. Mine is the English language one. And how did I get that designation? Well, that's a honor that I have from the late composer's family, the late composer's estate. They fully support and endorse my work. And that's quite an honor to be able to call my site the official English language one. I decided to start the website in 2006, shortly after the composer died. It had been something I'd been thinking about for a while to do. But after he died, that was the spark I needed to finally buckle down and do it. Started off as a fan website, got the attention of the Yves Kube family. They liked what I was doing, and they said, you can call it official. So. And then to Eric's right, we have Mr. John DeSantis. Now, John, you and Chris were both on a recent episode. I don't know why I'm leaning over like that. It feels weird. You were on a recent episode for the Kickstarter campaign 
Who here in the audience is going to Akira Ifukube 100? Yes, yes. I know I'm really looking forward to that. How's it been going since the end of the Kickstarter, man? Uh, <laughs> a marathon, to say the least. Yeah, I would say so. We've uh, been nothing but busy, busy. Can everybody hear me? Is this thing working? Okay. Um, it, it's been incredibly busy, literally nonstop, uh, and which continues right up to this very moment, because as soon as Chris and I are out of here, we got to go take care of some concert business. <laughs> but, That's good, though. That's good. Oh, yeah, you guys it's very are good. clearly and, um, taking care of business. Just, just a whirlwind. Like, our heads are both spinning. Um, and I can just say, like, you know, every year, it seems like it takes forever for G-Fest to roll around. And this year, I couldn't get, I couldn't get the, the deadline away from me because just, there's just so much work to do. But it's all going to be worth it. And I, I wish all of you could have heard the orchestra at rehearsals the last few nights because they sound fantastic. And it's a lot different than listening to this music on a pair of speakers or a mono recording. <laughs> You're welcome. Definitely, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, now, Chris, how about you, man? I know that John is actually conducting. I saw a little bit of video, and uh, what? Tell us a little bit about what you're what you're doing for this here. Well, I have been working very closely with John. Uh, I'm the producer on the project, so we've been actually doing a whole lot of stuff logistically. Um, whereas mostly I'm in charge of like the business end, making sure our tickets are ready, our revenues there, and. Uh, making sure that nothing's wrong with the theater and we have everything on time and our crew's coming and stuff like that. So it's been a, a lot of corralling of the troops. Um, but, it, again, it's all that hard work we've been doing. It's been days and nights. I mean, we eat, sleep, and breathe this concert for the last, what, eight months? Eight months of our lives. Yeah. So uh, seeing Monday's performance, and, you know, everybody says, oh, first rehearsal, it's going to be rough, it's going to be rough. Well, they belted out the Godzilla theme from 1954 and it about knocked my socks off. So... It was great, and I mean, every night since then, it has gotten better and better, and it's, it's just going to be so powerful and moving. Um, so it really, seeing that as like kind of right before the event, it's making all the hard work, all the, all the many sleepless nights, it's making everything worth it, and the reaction we have been getting from you guys has been nothing but fantastic. So I cannot thank you enough, and we can't thank you enough. It's been great. I agree. I think a bit, the best way to sum it up is with the concert, um, I'm taking care of the music and creative side of things, and he basically has done everything else. <laughs> I mean, uh, I can't say enough about Chris and how much work he has put into um, just all, all the the stuff that just, quite frankly, nobody really wants to do because, it, you know, they think it's a concert. It's fun and everything, but it's such hard work, and... I mean, I, I'm not sure if either one of us really fully realized how much work was going into it, but it was—it's all worth it, oh, and it's—it's—it's no. it's, it's fun at the end of the day. You know, we're we're having a blast, and we hope you guys have a great time tomorrow night. I well, know I cannot wait to see it. I'm really stoked for this performance. You guys are all right. Yeah. yeah. That's all. All right, so let's get down to the business of what we need to talk about. Uh, first off, just go down the line. Who's your favorite Godzilla composer, Jim? I know the answer is already, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, the guy who did Smog Monster. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ifukube. Uh, the guy I run a website about. Alexander Desplat? <laughs> just kidding. Akira Ifukube, obviously. That guy whose music we're playing tomorrow night. It was a no-brainer, right? This is like, I didn't even need to ask the question, but 
you know, I have things written down Wait, here. We're, we're we're performing Spinal Tap tomorrow night. <laughs> I would also go see that. By the that's, way, that's a surprise, John. All right, so uh, let's talk about our favorite pieces from Ifukabe, because obviously Ifukabe is is mine as well, and I play a lot of Ifukabe on the podcast uh, when I do play music. And it's kind of funny, every once in a while, when I do have a lot of songs, I, I don't pick them necessarily by thinking, who's which composer am I going to put on here? I just think of cool cool tracks. And then I'll look at the track listing, and it's like, Ifukabe, Ifukabe, Ifukabe. <laughs> but uh, I know that I'm really interested in finding out specifics from you guys what is your favorite track or entire score from this man these they've had a while to perform or to to figure out what they're going to say so they need to have answers it's a requirement mine actually my favorite uh score of his uh after thinking about this for a long time is actually the uh varan daikaiju varan score that is just awesome the entire like uh, chanting with the Baradagi is obviously it, it was evoked during King Kong versus Godzilla and it's just fantastic from start to finish even the, even the military marches which I generally don't go for what about you Jim? Um, I'm going to have to say it's not really technically a Ifukube score but uh, probably Godzilla versus Gigan is my favorite mm. just because it's kind of like a best of of everything that's happened up until that point I mean, there's Battle in Outer Space there's a movie that he did that's a non-kaiju movie called Big Boss um, and then the, the two additional themes that put it over for me is the ones that he did for the, the Osaka Expo in 1970 um, there was an expo done in 1970, and uh, these two particular themes, the one, in the American version, it's like, uh, it's playing during the credits, you know, it's like, yeah, the volcano theme, and then the, the second one's really sad theme, where Anguilus is getting uh, cut, cut apart with Gigan's uh, blade, and, and King Ghidorah's uh, beating him up, that really sad theme that's going on, so those two right there, I think, are really great, and they... They're a step above the standard uh, kaiju score, and those added in with the kind of a best of series makes that my favorite score. We just did the uh, commentary, the kaiju cast commentary for Godzilla vs. Gigan, and at the beginning, I tried, I said, oh, I think during this movie, I'm going to actually try and like pinpoint all the songs in the score while the movie's playing and tell you guys what the, what the tracks were actually from, <laughs> and... I maybe did three in total. It's just too difficult for me to actually go listen to that because I just great, listened to yeah. it the other day, and there's a lot of information. When I don't know if you ever heard of Kyle's uh, or the Kaiju Cast commentaries, but there's a lot of good stuff in there, especially the G- the Gino one, Gino Gino <laughs> no. ninety eight when they're all drunk. That's a really funny one. So I, I recommend that one. You know that listen to that for comedy, but the rest of them there's a lot of good information. Centropolis urges you to drink responsibly. Um, Eric. What would you say would be your favorite piece or your favorite score from Ifukube? Well, without doubt, it's Godzilla 1954, and that's probably, I would imagine for many of you in this room, a favorite. And I almost feel that giving that answer isn't very insightful because it is so popular, but I'll expand on that a little bit. I actually think that his scores from the 1950s tend to be his best as far as the kaiju scores. Rodan and the Mysterians are exemplary especially the opening credits of Rodan. I was, I was watching a YouTube video of that a while back, and it never ceases to give me chills. And someone made a comment on there that said something along the lines, and I paraphrase, 
If you were standing in front of the gates of hell, this is the music you would hear. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's pretty apt. If you were standing at the gates of hell, you probably would hear it because it's absolutely terrifying music. I, among the Heisei scores, for me, pound for pound, I think it's Mechagodzilla 93. Good one. And just a few weeks ago, I was in Tokyo. I was having dinner with Satoshi Imai, who was the conductor on the Heisei scores. When you listen to the scores on the Heisei films, it's not Yves Kube conducting, it's his assistant, Imai. And I, we were talking about this very subject, and I said to the conductor, Imai, I said, you as the conductor of the Heisei scores, which one was your favorite? And without hesitating, he said, Destroya. John, you. Let's hear it, man. Um, You've been soaking up Ifukube and his... Uh, his work for so long, and now you're going to sweat it out on stage tomorrow night. Yeah, literally. What do you What do you have for us as far as your favorites? <coughs> well, I can tell you um, almost without hesitation that one of my top favorite single pieces of written music by him is Godzilla at the Ocean Floor from the end of Godzilla mm. 54 when they are looking for him with the oxygen destroyer, um, which also appears earlier in the film as Tragic Side at the Imperial Capital. That's just a piece that I listen to very often. Um, I I just I love the the way the slurring of the strings and that the timbre of the instruments. And I actually believe I think um, Jim in an article for Japanese Giants on, in, during the '54 issue covered uh, that piece a little bit. You talked a little bit about it in the section about the score in your little sidebar. Maybe. <laughs> I don't uh, kind of I don't if you say so. Sounds familiar. I'm pretty I'm very much in agreement with Eric and Kyle that the 50 scores like Varan is is a good one. Mysterians is is a tour de force mm. score. I actually happen to be very partial to Battle in Outer Space, believe it or not. Um as far as the Heisei films go, um I would say I think Mechagodzilla it's probably the best, but my favorite as far as just some, some of the written themes is actually Mothra, 92. Hmm. And I, just because the, if you listen, and um, a, a lot of tracks are edited out, but he did some very ethnic writing um, f- like uh, for the, um, I guess, the character in the beginning. He's in, in uh, not Indonesia, but uh, where is he? Like, You're talking about Indiana Jones, right? Well, he's, the, yeah. <laughs> so like, because there's oftentimes a lot of tracks that just don't make it into into the movie. And, one of the things that I hope that we're going to talk about in a little bit, and Eric's going to be able to really uh, educate us on, is the fact that Ifakube's music, his ethnic music, was always very authentic. And you're going to find out why from this guy right here in a little bit. So, It's hard picking one specific track, in my opinion, because there are so many. And I think for all of us here, they've become so memorable and they become kind of almost a part of you because you love the music for so long. But if I had to pick one score that always stood out, it was always uh, Mothra versus Godzilla. I think it's really the best balance of not only very powerful music that gets the monsters' points across and gets their character across, but it's also a lot of very beautiful, oftentimes very moving music in the piece as well, um, talking about the other stories going on with the human characters in the film. Um, Heisei-wise... I'd have to agree again with uh, Mechagodzilla 93 probably being the best score. Um, but I would say my favorite of them would be uh, Godzilla vs. Destroyer because there is so much tension in the film because you know Godzilla's dying. And I always felt like that came across with the score. There was always this element of kind of a little on the edge of things. I actually have a question specifically uh, about what you said, Eric, and uh, his 
conductor, Ifuka Bay's conductor, saying that his favorite was to conduct Destroya. And did he expand on that at all? Like maybe talk about uh, the different instrumentation because that particular film score has a lot of, especially since it opens in Hong Kong, has some very classical Chinese instruments that we don't hear in regular orchestration. He didn't elaborate too much in that particular episode, but I had discussed the Heisei scores with him before because he, again, was the conductor on them. I think, obviously, Destroyer was was a big film because Godzilla dies. It was going to be the last Godzilla film for a while, and in many ways it was, if you don't count 1998. (laughs) But, and I'm sure many of you don't, but... What's interesting about Destroyer is that I think when Yves Kube wrote it, there was a great sense of occasion. He was 81 years old when he wrote that music. 81 years old. And it was actually the final orchestral score he ever wrote in his career, be it film music or anything classical. Actually, towards that stage in his career, he was getting physically weaker and Yves Kube really pulled out all the stops for this score. You know, you can imagine an 81-year-old man doing everything he could to express the gravity of the situation, Godzilla's death. And actually, in an interview in G-Fan with Steve Reifel, Steve Reifel asks Yves Kube about the composition of that score, and the conversation gets down to the requiem at the end, that beautiful piece of music. And Yves Kube said, when I was writing that music, it was as if I was writing music for my own death. So I think Imai, the conductor, who was a very close associate of the composer, was his assistant. I think Imai understood that it was Yves Kube's goodbye, at least in terms of orchestral music and certainly in terms of film scoring. So I can only imagine that there was a great sense of occasion, for lack of a better word, during the composition and execution of that score. Way to bring the room down, by the way. (laughs) That a, that's a wonderful, though. I mean, Ifukabe's work is obviously timeless, and it's classic, and it's absolutely associated with Godzilla. My co-host Jeff often says that uh, Godzilla's score is hand-in-hand with Godzilla. So when you think of Godzilla, you actually hear Godzilla's theme, much like James Bond has his theme, much like Jaws has the theme. So for me, I think that's one of the things that I love about Ifukube is that his work is also as classic as Godzilla. And, uh, but, you know, obviously we have a whole bunch of other composers that I would like to talk about. Uh, And so what I want to do is move away from Ifukube, even though he's amazing, and we're going to hear a whole bunch of his work tomorrow night. Uh, who are some of you guys' favorite non-Ifukube composers it, it, from any, any walk of the genre from, uh, of kaiju films? Um, well, it's not a kaiju film, and, I'm, and forgive me if I mispronounce it, but uh, uh, Basil Polidorus, the guy who did the Conan uh, soundtrack, and he did some others. Um, he did one with um, uh, Steven Seagal in it. I can't remember what it was called. And uh, he did... Serial, huh? It's the Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know him quite as much as Yves Kube, but uh, I really like his uh, composition. It's very unique to me, and uh, obviously, I think that both Conan movies are. There, I, I have both of the soundtracks, and I really love those. Those are powerful too. You can feel it when you watch the movie. Definitely. 
in terms of classical music, Jean Sibelius of Finland, and in terms of Japanese composers, aside from Ifukube, Fumio Hayasaka, who was the composer for Ikiru, Rashomon, Seven Samurai. Hayasaka and Ifukube actually grew up together on the island of Hokkaido, so there's a connection there. But Hayasaka, and in terms of classical music, Jean Sibelius. Uh, as far as Japanese composers go, I mean, I know, obviously, you know, Masaru Sato is very popular, but I'm, I'm very partial to Michiro Oshima, the, mm-hmm, the, the mm-hmm. composer of the Millennium Godzilla, or the Tezuka Millennium Godzilla films. I think her Godzilla theme is second to a Fukube. I think, Abs- I think it's right up there. Absolutely like, As far as like, a, and when I heard her, her Godzilla theme, I'm like, that's like the, the theme of that's the new mm-hmm. going forward. That's like the new theme, you know, like it's so good. And, you know, just it, it fit the character so, so wonderfully. Um, I love the drums in that, yeah. too. Just like really kind of it's almost like warning bells in a sense. Yeah. That, so good. Well, um, and as far as like um, other composers, um, I, I have a, I have an appreciation for classical music. But I mean, film scores and film composers are like like John Williams is like my Mozart, you know, for lack of a better term. But the the composer that I love the most, who is right up there with Ifakube, is Jerry Goldsmith. I'm a big, big fan of Jerry Goldsmith, and the reason is because he was such a chameleon. He had no rules. He just he always brought something so inventive and unique to scores. And I feel like like up and coming younger comp- like people who are into film composing should absolutely look up to Jerry Goldsmith because he to me is the guy to look up to. I mean John Williams is fantastic. He's very much a household name, but he he does things in a certain way. I mean John Williams is, is a classical composer in in the film scoring world and he's incredibly he's a genius, but Jerry Goldsmith just broke so much ground. If you listen to his scores for Planet of the Apes mm-hmm. and Patton and just just the things he would just do, like in like in Patton, for instance, like the tread, like the the Echoplex trumpet, just the, just the wonderful. Just I can't get enough of Jerry Goldsmith's music. Um, I, he's one of my favorites. In terms of uh, Japanese composers, uh, non Fukube related, um, I have appreciation for all all of them in a sense. But the ones that stand out are, are Masaru Sato, um, working on many of the Kurosawa films, as well as a lot of the Godzilla movies. And I always felt that. His scores, while they're not always sometimes consistent in my opinion, they're, they, they all have different sounds to kind of fit the film. And that's always thought that was very good. It kind of fit the groove, so to speak. I like um, Masato because, uh, sorry, yeah. Mas- Masaru Sato because he's versatile. Mm-hmm. I mean, very Absolutely. versatile. If you listen to, I mean, obviously everybody knows his Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster soundtrack and his uh, Son of Godzilla. Those are his big, I think his most recognizable ones. But if you listen to uh, what he did for... Um, he did Half Human, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, he did. So he did Half Human, and he did uh, Godzilla Raids again. And those two films sound very much like someone said, "Hey, we're making an American style monster on the loose picture. Watch these movies, listen to their scores, and that's what we want to hear in these pictures." I'm not obviously sure that's what they did, but I love how he can do that and then turn around and turn out the uh, the bombastic or very swinging sound of the Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster. It's, I think it's great. And it's really interesting, though, because Sato's sound changed. Like, if you listen, you actually nailed it pretty well. Uh, Godzilla Raids, again, and, and Half Human have a very specific sound to them. It almost is like 
I wouldn't say it exactly imitates the American monster sound, but he didn't really find his voice until the 1960s, you know? And I think, especially when um, in, the, in the late 50s after Hayasaka died, and then he became Kurosawa's go-to man. In fact, I think uh, the film that Hayasaka died during, was that uh, Record of a Living Being? Yeah. That, that he and Sato came in and finished it because he was Hayasaka's pupil. So, but if you listen in the, in the 1960s, there's definitely a Sato sound. And if you listen to like Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, Mechagodzilla, Son of Godzilla, and then you listen to Yojimbo, that you just, he has it. There's a Sato sound that's in there. And it's as recognizable as the Afukabe sound for different reasons. Oh, man. I, I think one of the first things I recognized, not as a, as a Godzilla fan, but first thing that alerted me to something was really awesome and cool in Yojimbo was the soundtrack. And it just sounded so much different than a standard movie. And it was very driving and at the same time whimsical. It was really great. Have you guys heard that? The Yojimbo? You've seen Yojimbo. No. Yojimbo is awesome. Just go on YouTube and like just look for the main titles. The main titles of that movie, just following him from behind to Sato's music, totally, yeah. is just so effective. And what's interesting about Sato... We, these three composers we were mentioning, Akira Ifukube, Fumio Hayasaka, and Masaru Sato, all came from Hokkaido. I don't know what's in the, the water up there, <laughs> but it seems to produce a lot of very, very good Japanese film composers. Interestingly, though, Sato was, he was very influenced by American music. Of particular fascination to him was the music of Henry Mancini. And... I recall reading an interview with Sato somewhere where he met, he talks about meeting Mancini and Mancini was very kind to him and told him that he was impressed with what Sato was doing. Sato was a student of Hayasaka. Sato had the opportunity actually to study either with Ifukube or Hayasaka, but he chose Hayasaka because at the time, this was before this was before the success of Godzilla, 1954. Hayasaka was a more successful film composer at the time. And, Hayas- and, and Sato was only interested in film music. He never wrote anything for the concert hall. Everything he ever wrote was always film music. So I, I find that very interesting because Ifukube and Hayasaka were both composers of concert music as well. Eric, I have to ask you, since uh, Hokkaido has produced those three fine composers, where exactly did Richiro Manabe come from? <laughs> well, maybe if Hokkaido is the extreme north, maybe Okinawa, the extreme south. <laughs> I'm, I'm not quite sure. No, Manabe, I believe, I'm not an expert on Manabe, but Manabe was, was a student of Ifukube, if you can believe that. So when you hear the music for, <laughs> for, for Megalon and, and, and Smog Monster, he was actually a student of, of Akira Ifukube, although their musical styles are so completely different. I can't speak about Manabe, but again, Manabe's intentions were much more Western-oriented, whereas Ifukube purposefully wanted to write music that did not sound Western. He sought out to do that. He was very influenced by Russian composers, Spanish composers and French composers of classical music because he thought the composers like Stravinsky from Russia or Manuel de Falla from Spain did a very good job of expressing their national character in their orchestral music. And Yves Kube wanted to do something similar to express a Japanese sentiment but also an Ainu sentiment 
The Ainu, of course, are the indigenous people of northern Japan with whom he had quite a bit of contact and, contact and absorbed a lot of their musical aesthetics. And that was his intention. He purposefully did not want to sound Western. In fact, Yves Kube hated romantic music. So when you think of modern film scores like John Williams or Goldsmith, the, usually the discussion comes to, well, they were very influenced by the romantic period in classical music, Tchaikovsky and people like that. Yves Kube actually did not like romantic music at all and think purposefully when he wrote his film music did not want to write music that sounded like that. So we're going to go ahead and move to our next subject, which is the monster roars. Now, not every kaiju roar was created with instrumentation, but we obviously know, you guys know how Godzilla's roar was created, right? All right, so uh, you guys have to correct me if I'm wrong. A resin-coated leather glove rubbing down a contrabass, the strings of a contrabass. Now, Eric, you had a little more information exclusive information that you're going to share with us here. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you came about this information. Well, the subject of the monster roars, I'm sure, is fascinating to all of us because some of them are just so incredibly frightening and awesome sounding that you think, geez, how did they do that? Well, absolutely, Yves Kube was the creator of Godzilla's War, but it's probably more accurate to say co-creator because there were three principal people involved. There was a sound effects guy at Toho by the name of Minawa, and Minawa and Yves Kube in the early stages of the production went to the Tokyo Zoo and were recording sounds of various animals, in particular birds, and tried manipulating the playback speed of the tapes to find something that would sound appropriate for Godzilla's roar. They didn't come up with anything. So Minawa had the idea to ask Yves Kube, well, can you do something with a musical instrument? So this got Yves Kube's wheels turning, so they got a contrabass, that is true, but what's interesting, I was having this conversation again rather recently, and this information was imparted to me by the composer's son, Kiwami, that the contrabass that they had was actually in very shabby condition. It, it, it didn't even have a back on it. So it was a pretty beat-up instrument. They loosened the strings and the leather glove was dragged along the strings sort of lengthwise like this. For those listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you can imagine, you know, pulling, the, like, like as Bela Lugosi would say, pull the strings, you know. But the person who pulled the strings was actually a composer by the name of Sei Ikeno. If, maybe a name you're not too familiar with, but if you've ever heard the music for the film Secrets of the Telegian, Toho film, that's Sei Ikeno who was the composer on that. So it was Ikeno, the composer, who worked as Yves Kube's assistant on, the, on that score. It's him pulling the strings. So it was actually a collaborative effort between three people. Now, Jim, you have a couple of more monster information. Jim has a piece of paper here, uh, printout, which I, just from the format of it, I'm guessing it's an email, but I can't read any of it except maybe a couple of monster names. What's going on here? What do you have for us? Um, recently, I've been in, uh, communicating with a, a person by the name of uh, Makoto Inoue, who, um, you, the name might not sound familiar, but back in the 80s, he released a three-set uh, album called uh, like Godzilla Legend, and it was basically a synthesizer versions of Ifukube's music. And it's done so close to the original, it, it's very hard to tell a difference. And... Um, 
Mr. Inoue is kind of, in, in my estimation, kind of like the closest thing we have to Mr. Ifukube. You know, he's not here anymore. Um, not in terms of being a composer, but he was very close to Mr. Ifukube and his family. And uh, so recently through email, we've been talking a lot uh, about uh, Ifukube, you know, being the, the centennial um, and everything. And I said, oh, by the way, uh, you know, um, I'm going on this uh, panel discussion at uh, G-Fest. And, uh, you know, most, most Godzilla fans know how Godzilla's roar was created, but not too many people know how the other monsters' voices were created. And I said, just by chance, do you happen to know how they were created? And he sent me back this thing, and he said, well, 30 years ago, I released this CD called The Sound Effect of Godzilla. And in the... the the inlay card, I explained how the other monsters were created because I interviewed this Mr. Minawa that uh, Eric was just talking about. And he gave me a, a, like a list of nine or ten monsters in here. Each one were created. I don't know if you want me to go through all of them real quick. And You guys want to hear this, right? This is something, this is something that I found fascinating for a long time as a Godzilla fan because I think the first time I ever heard Godzilla's roar, I, a lot of you guys know out there, my first Godzilla film was 1985. And uh, I always found it fascinating just from the standpoint of his roar was uh, very animalistic and then into the Heisei era his roar was still animalistic but it still retained the original's structure so and I you know over the course of the five years of doing the podcast I've always kind of wondered there's a couple of monsters that I know for a fact were created with instrumentation King Ghidra uh, Angulus really cool if you have the the Godzilla Raids Again soundtrack, you can hear on some of them. I'm not sure which ones, which one I have exactly, but you can hear the uh, the horn like performing Angulus's roar before they messed with it. Uh, I'm guessing on an eight track or something like that. Very cool stuff, and it made me wonder what other monsters do we do we have that don't have like a recording of a of an animal or something that's been messed with, and it was something like a musical instrument. Okay, so uh, Rodan we have here also uses a contrabass, and on top of that, there's a person's voice recorded on tape, and then it's played back in high speed and mixed in. Um, I don't know exactly what that means in terms of a person's voice. If Japanese backmasking, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mothra, uh, they used a uh, violin that was uh, good for children. I guess it's a smaller size violin. And they combined that with something called an electone. And, and it's an yeah, it's, it's an electric organ in Japan. Um, so they combined those two together to get uh, Mothra's uh, uh, cry. Um, Angulus, as uh, Kyle had just said, they used an English horn, put it on the tape, um, and they uh, played it back and manipulated the speed for that. Uh, Minya was a combination. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't ask for Mina, but he gave it to me anyway. Um, beggars can't be choosers, right? Uh, Mina is a Godzilla's roar uh, played back in a, a faster, is a faster playback, and then it's mixed in with a monkey, a lion, and a bear. Okay, I bu- I'm gonna believe it because you have it written down, but hearing it, I yeah. would ha- find that hard to believe. Yeah. <laughs> Um, King Ghidorah was just the electone, uh, and it was, the sound was manipulated with the, the tape, uh, tape playback, the speed for that. Um, so not, not, nothing too, much, too interesting there. Um, King Kong was a lion, an elephant, and uh, thunder mixed in together. Cool. 
And uh, Varan and Baragon was, again, a contrabass mixed in with that small violin. And those are the only ones that got. I, re- I thought King Ghidra was the science control phone ring. It's the same thing. I'm going to get back to this guy. <laughs> Thanks, David. I'll let you know. <laughs> That's really interesting, Jim, because I, for some reason, when you're mentioning King Kong's War having actual thunder in it, I always... I thought that one. I remember thinking, like, when I was listening, it might have been the Howl CD, I'm like, yeah. or, or in one of the movies, I'm like, that kind of sounds like, you know, like at the end of it, just the way it kind of, like, rolling thunder going through the... That's really interesting. I really appreciate him doing this, because all I asked him was just, by the way, do you know any others besides Godzilla? And he gave me this whole list, but I really want to know, uh, like, Titanosaurus, what they use for that one, but, uh, oh, well, I don't, I don't want to bug him anymore, so... <laughs> well, please thank him for us. Yeah. That's awesome, right? Feel free to play this episode for him so you can hear the applause. I don't know. That's rad. And I, uh, you know, I would also love to know how Titanosaurus was made. I'm, dude, I'd like to know all of the monsters and how their roars were created. That would be really cool. Uh, thanks for getting that information. So we have about 15 minutes left. Does anybody have any questions for our panelists? Bug, come on up for a second here. So... Charlie Emery's son, Bug, here, ladies and gentlemen. What do you got? What cat did they strangle to make Gabra sound? <laughs> yeah, that would have been Titanosaurus, Gabra, and maybe Mechagodzilla. Would have loved to find out what those were. That would have been great. It might have actually been Mr. Inouye's cat, for all we know. <laughs> uh, anybody else? All right, so a couple things we have real quick. Uh, Chris has donated some DVDs to give away. Anybody, uh, if you have a, want to come up here and tell me your favorite Ifukube theme? I've got an Ultraman. I know it might be like heresy to give away an Ultraman DVD when I'm asking about Ifukube. But we're going to do it anyway because it's live. Anybody want an Ultraman DVD? I know everybody has it already, but some people don't. There are hands raised. All right, so first person to come up here and tell me his favorite Ifukube track. No, make him sing the Ifukube theme. Oh, I mean that. That's what I mean. That means it's... Oh, we're going to have a sing-off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you got to sing the Mothra song. All right, man. What's your name? Uh, James. Yeah. James, how's it going, man? All right. Uh, favorite tracks, right? Favorite tracks. Favorite tracks. Uh, the Search March from War of the Gargantuas. And uh, what was that in Search March? And uh, Operation L March, yeah, like and the uh, the main title from Varan, that, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, awesome. In fact, you know what? You look over over eighteen, so I'm going to give you both Piranha and uh, <laughs> and Ultraman. Thank you. Now, I, uh, I don't know if any of you guys saw this on Facebook earlier today. I posted that uh, I was going to give away something very special in an attempt, <laughs> a paltry and obvious attempt to get butts in the seats here. Uh, who is a member of the Kaiju Corps? Make some noise. Well, that's not very loud. Uh, we're we're going to get another member. Uh, anybody who is not a member and wears a size extra large, please stand up. All right. So who knows what the Kaiju Corps is? Kaiju Corps is the, uh, the supporters of the podcast. We have three levels. I, I really need to talk about this more often. So here we go. Uh, 
I basically love doing the podcast and I love making it free, but uh, unfortunately things cost money. So instead of just saying, hey, uh, could you guys give me money? I decided to come up with a program where there are three, technically four levels of support. And uh, in uh, solidarity of wanting to keep the Kaiju cast going and being awesome, the levels are corporal, captain and colonel colonel is the top level and gets the most amount of stuff and what i'm about to do right here is i'm going to give away one free colonel membership to the kaiju corps this is where you gasp and awe and <laughs> oh i like it i like it maybe i'll edit out that prompt that i had there when i post this live okay so uh if everyone who's standing up can come up to the front we're going to do a trick, trick, a quick trivia question. That's right. There's, a, there's an audience participation involved. You guys are going to help me uh, choose the winner here. So the first, person, the first person that answers this question that I'm trying to come up with off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, what was the first score, Godzilla score, from Michiro Oshima? All right. What's your name? Danny. Danny. Hey, man. How's it going? This guy listens to the podcast. Danny, congratulations on your Kaiju Corps membership. Uh, don't go away afterwards. And if anybody else who is here is a member of the Kaiju Corps, don't go away because I brought all your swag. I want to thank sincerely for being on this panel, Mr. Jim Vigursky. Eric Hominick. John DeSantis and Chris Olio. I am so glad you guys came out. I feel like I actually learned some really awesome information. And uh, thank you all for showing up and all being part of this uh, incredible experience. Have a great G-Fest. And thank you, Kyle. Wait, 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 wait. Don't stop the podcast yet. Don't turn it off. I forgot something super important. I really can't even imagine how idiotic I am that I could not remember to do this during the live in-person podcast panel at G-Fest where I had a captive audience. Uh, I really, really, really would like you to listen to me for just a couple more minutes here. I have launched a Kickstarter campaign called Hail to the King, 60 Years of Destruction. It's, a, it's an independent documentary idea that I had uh, thanks to Mr. August Ragoni. He really sparked this. And then my friend Brandon made sure that I, I uh, kept thinking about it. Basically, next month in August of 2014, so if you're listening to this much later, don't, you, can, you can't ignore this. But uh, there's going to be this really cool exhibit in Tokyo called the Big Godzilla Toku, or Big Godzilla Special Effects Exhibit. The Japanese name is Dai Gojira Tokusatsu Ten, and so they are going to be showing a uh, bunch of cool stuff from Godzilla. They're going to have suits on display, props on display, uh, celebrating the 60 years of the monster that we love. And basically, I decided that I wanted to go to that because I've never been to a really cool exhibit like that. And I said, well, you know, I'd like to do a little more than that, so maybe I can film it. And then that turned into a discussion with some people that I know, and now it turns out that we are planning to do a feature-length documentary, once again, independent documentary, where we're basically going to create 
tribute to Godzilla's 60-year history, featuring this exhibit and interviews with uh, key people from Godzilla's history and that I also know. So you can hopefully expect to hear or see people like Tom Kitagawa, Shinichi Wakasa, Shusuke Kaneko. I'm not promising these people to be on the on the uh, documentary, but I think it's very doable. And so this Kickstarter is a way for me to raise the funds to get to Japan, stay in Japan, and more importantly, pay people to shoot the video for me in Japan, pay people to edit the video for me back in America. And honestly, it's just... This is another big thing that I'd like to do, kind of like the podcast. I really want to share this with the world, not just go and see it myself. So I would like you to go to hailtothekingdoc.org. Doc stands for documentary, uh, where I have a link to the Kickstarter. I, of course, will have a link on the KaijuCast page as well and in the show notes to this particular episode. So far, we're... uh, Less than two days into it, we have, or we are about two days into it, we have uh, $1,100 pledged so far. Our goal is 8000 and that is a very modest fee, if you ask my opinion. It's a very modest fee for an independent documentary, and I really, really would like to share this with the entire world. It's going to be on YouTube for free. We're not looking to make any money off this. We're just make, looking to make some really cool really awesome stuff. Uh, there's a lot of really rad backer rewards. I hate to even say this, but some of them are going faster than others. So please make sure you check out hailtothekingdoc.com and make sure to pledge. This is going to be something that no one has ever really attempted to do before. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. And hopefully, you know, we can get this going. If you have any questions about it, please feel free to email me and, uh, you know, I hope to see your pledge on the Kickstarter. Once again, just to do that repetition thing, hail to the king org. Thanks a lot, and I hope you enjoyed the live episode here at G-Fest. It is 1.49 a.m., and I have a panel I have to get to at 9 a.m., so I need to get a little bit of sleep. So until next time, we're going to play one more song. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'll edit it into the uh, the final version of this podcast and I will actually be releasing several more episodes this month to continue the hype for the Kickstarter campaign. So until then, Jamata. Yeah.